Omnamonarayanaya. Welcome back. Today we start part two of the Maha Upanishad. So the first part, as I mentioned before, is very Genesis-like. We've kind of seen it mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam. And I think what we're going to be getting into is going to be more of that. Uh, more detail and more reflection of things we've seen before. It's just a brief side before we delve into it. That's the interesting thing about Hindu scripture that I don't think people always realize. I think they see all these Vedas and all these Upanishads and Agamas and Puranas and all that as new revelation, new revelation, new revelation, new revelation. Sort of the equivalent of, um, excuse me, it's really hot and I have this light over me. Um, sort of the equivalent of like the Mormon church has the Bible and then they brought out their revelation as told to Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon. And then there's also the Pearl of Great Wisdom. This isn't like that, really. This is, this is not like the Upanishads are completely separate telling a new story, like the Book of Mormon tells a new story. This is building on what has been written before. That's the interesting thing about the scriptures. So you have the Vedas and then the Upanishads, and then they are building on the tradition. And it's not like everything is brand new and there's all this great intellectual tradition. No, it's expanding, expanding with revelations, yes, but it's not reinventing the religion. And, and I've run into people who thought that that was the way it was, like every Upanishad, um, every Upanishad is a, like a brand new revelation. You've got to learn all these and it's just too much. I'm like, no, no, there isn't. You learn your basics and then they will expand. It's kind of an interesting thing. And as I adjust my shirt, I realize that I am very tan right here. And I probably shouldn't wear t-shirts on this channel because this is embarrassing. <laughs> I'm recording this in the summer and um, I go out running and yeah, I think I need some tan lotion. My, <laughs> my girlfriend was mentioning how red my face was. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Total distraction. Odd introduction, but that's the way it goes. So here we go. Part two. And we'll see what this builds upon from the first part, and also what we've read in other books together, and here we go. Sukha, of great luster, devoted to natural bliss, the prince of sages, realized truth even at birth without instruction. So also a person may get certain knowledge of the self by himself, by long self-analysis. This is because the self is beyond description, unrealizable by worldly means, by the mind and the sense organs. Pure bliss, atomic, subtler than even ether. The myriads of particles undergo generations, subsistence, and dissolution inside the Supreme Being by rotation of the power. The Supreme Being is ether, because there is nothing outside it, and yet not the ether, because it is all pure consciousness. It is nothing which can be pointed out, specified, such and such as a thing, reality, etc. He is conscious, being lustrous, yet like a rock, because he cannot be normally known causing the picture-like awakening of the world in himself, the pure ether. This cosmos is only the manifestation of that being. There is nothing other than that. The differences in that universe are also his manifestation. Present everywhere, connected with everything, yet he does not move as there is nowhere to go. He does not exist as there is nowhere to exist, yet exists because he is existence by nature. Brahman is knowledge. Bliss and the resource of the giver of Jivan Mukti. Given up 
of all mental desires is the way to that knowledge. The wise say that the understanding of that being is the absence of worldly conceptions, the dissolution and creation of the universe are due to the contraction and expansion, respectively, of the power. The basis of Vedantic statements, yet beyond words, it is I, reality, knowledge, bliss, and nothing else. Sukha knew all this by his own subtle intellect, then remained with his mind ceasingly wrapped in it. He did not have the conception that the Atman is real. His mind simply turned away from the worldly temptations, the many material worldly enjoyments which break very much like the satisfied Chataka bird from torrent water. He knew all but out of respect for tradition passed at this stage. One Sukha of pure knowledge asked with devotion of his father Vyasa, the seer, seated alone at Meru Mountain, Oh, seer, how did this elaborate pomp of worldly life arise? How does this become dissolved? How much and when? Being thus asked, Piyasa instructed everything to his son. Having known all this, Sukha did not value the verbal statement. Sage Vyasa, knowing his son's thoughts, said, I do not know the truth. You can know all from Chanaka, the king of Mithila, who knows it correctly. Being told this, Sukha went there, to the earth and the city of Videya, ruled by Chanaka. He was announced by Chanaka by the ushers. O King Sukha, the son of Yasa, waits at the entrance. Desiring of knowing Sukha, Chanaka said, Let him wait, and tarried for seven days. Then he permitted him into the court, and Chanaka regaled Sukha with women and other luxuries. They did not attract Sukha, just as gentle breeze cannot shake a mountain. He simply remained pure, like the full moon, equitable, silent, and composed. Janaka looked at him and bowed, knowing his name. He said, You have endured all worldly actions, and for all your desires, what more do you desire? Sukha replied, This grandiose world, how did this arise, and how dissolved? Janaka narrated all correctly, the same as was spoken by Father Vyasa. I myself know this already, said Chanaka, as was told to me by my father, also by you, most eloquent speaker. This also the matter seen in the Shastras. The mass of mental fancies dies away by the death of the fancies. Worldly life is also buried away. This is certain. So, great armed Chanaka, pray tell me the truth firmly. The world gets peace for the reeling mind from you. Chanaka replied, Asuka, listen to what I speak. The details of knowledge, the essence of wisdom, by knowing which one can get the status of liberation in life. When there is generated a wiping away of visible phenomena by the mind, realizing that there is no real visible object, then arises the great joy of nirvana, the best total adjuration of mental impressions is said by the good people to be liberation. It is a pure procedure, whereas those people whose tendencies are not given up but purified, not subject to the danger of rebirth, these wise ones are said to be enlightened, liberated in life. Strong brooding over objects is said to be bondage. Its thinning out is liberation. He is said to be liberated while living, who has lost taste for enjoyment by means of penance, and no other cause. Who does not rejoice nor languish, being detached when joy and grief befall him according to time? 
who is untouched in the mind by exaltation, anger, fear, lust, and meanness, who gives up as if playfully the egoist tendency and remains giving up brooding, who is free from desire and non-desire as he is introvert and behaves as in deep sleep, who is seated, delighting in the spirit, replete, pure in mind, having got excellent repose and desires nothing in the material world and lives without unction, who is unsmeared in the region of the heart with objects of knowledge and whose consciousness is not inert, who performs without expectation, likes and dislikes, acts of joy, grief, virtue and vice, success and failure, who is silent, egoless, prideless, avoiding jealousy, and does actions without agitation, who exists like a detached onlooker and functions without attachment and desire everywhere, who has given up eternally all of dharma and adharma, thought and desire, who has given up fully the worldly view, who eats with equal detachment what is bitter, sour, salty, astringent, seasoned and unseasoned, who has given up dharma and adharma, joy and grief, death and birth, who, free from tension and joy, does not get depressed or related with a pure intellect, who has given up all desires, all doubts, all connation, all rigid thoughts, who is equal towards birth, existence, and death, rise and fall, who does not dislike or hanker after anything and enjoys incidental pleasure, whose thought of worldly life has quieted down, who has aspects and yet is aspectless, having mind yet mindless, who is active towards all objects, yet is desireless as if they are alien objects in full of spirit. He gives up the state of jivan mukta when his body is consigned to death and enters the state of adihamukta, liberation without body, like wind which does not move. Such a person does not rise or set, is neither real nor unreal, nor is he far away, nor I nor another. Other than him, there is no lustres nor darkness which is steady and profound, ineffable and unmanifest, not empty vacuum, not having form, neither visible nor vision, nor a mass of creations, but existing infinitely. Undesignated in nature, fuller than the fullest, neither real nor unreal, neither being nor coming into being, pure consciousness, nor the chaitya, the world created by the mind. Endless, ageless, auspicious, having no beginning, middle, or end, having no ailment in mind or body, that which is considered as the vision amidst the seer, seeing an object of seeing, sage, there is nothing beyond this. It is known by yourself, as well as heard from a preceptor. One is bound by one's own fancy and released by being rid of it. Detachment towards enjoyment of all visible external objects has arisen in you. All that is to be got has been got by you with a perfect mind. You feel erred in regard to your own nature, but now being liberated, give up error. You see that you are Brahman itself beyond what is external and internal. You see, but you do not see. You are the sole and perfect onlooker uninvolved. Sukha reposed silently in the supreme being, in his own normal state, devoid of grief, fear, and strain. Then he went to the peak of Meru Mountain, unimpeded for trance. There, for thousands of years, he remained in unqualified trance, and attained rest in himself like flame without oil. Purified with a blemish of manifold thought, in the pristine and pure condition, he became one with all worldly tendencies melting away like water drops in the ocean. Thus ends.
part two. This is an authoritative list. <laughs> and I had a thought while I was reading this. I was actually thinking of a particular person I know, but I, it could be many people. For those out there like myself who consider themselves a spiritual person, maybe you're Hindu, maybe you're Christian, maybe you're Jewish, Muslim, Zoroastrian, I don't know, Sikh, you know, name the religion, it doesn't matter. Maybe you're spiritual, but not religious. But you know there's a God, and you know there's something there, and you know there's something bigger than life, and you're yearning for it. And you've found things, maybe you found your path, or whatever. Have you ever been talking to somebody who seemingly, you know, is very smart, is a really nice person, maybe they got a great job and great life, and, you know, a decent person who you trustworthy, but you find that there's no God in their life. There's no religion. If you mention religion, it's like, oh, um, yeah, I went to church when I was young, or, oh, someday I'll die. They just, it's just nothing. It's like not even a thought that crosses their mind, whereas in like some of us, we think about God every day. And there's something about them that it's almost like a piece missing. Have you ever noticed that? Have you? I mean, maybe it's just me, and maybe I'm just being arrogant or whatever, and that's what it is. But I've talked to people who, they seem to have everything perfect, like even better than my life, and I'm like impressed. But then there's just something missing from it. And one of the things I get from one person I think of is how every experience is very materialistic and passing and supposedly it's the greatest experience. Oh my god, this was so amazing. And yet it's forgotten soon after. Or it's mentioned again as though this is just an amazing experience, but you saw a band you like in concert. Okay, that can be cool. It cannot be cool. But was really seeing this this musician in concert really life-changing? You know what I mean? Where these people have this great life, but it's so surface. And when you dig into them, and or they become close to them as friends, you, you see something where it's like, I would like to, this is me speaking, I would like to perceive the world bigger. I'd like to know God and see God. I don't necessarily have to know the absolute truth, but I would be loving it to, to perceive more and to know God and that would be amazing and it would just shatter this world, this Maya and it's just you know, but these people it's like, nope, seeing that rock musician that was, that was it and I, I read something like this and it's like, it describes this person who has given up all these things and they're they're, they're in this balance, you know, I often think, I was reading this and I thought of Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, who's often described as, not always, but a lot of the times he was, you know, didn't matter, you give him gold, give him silver, give him string, he didn't care. And it's like describing a whole different approach to the world than these friends I have. And this approach is hard, this one I was reading, it's not easy. And yes, maybe it'd be nice to cheer when someone gives you some gold. But on the other hand, you know, it's, I don't know, I just read this and I see, I think of my friends who don't seem to have any of this or aren't aware of any of this, and it actually makes me sad. 
And it also spurs me because I believe there is something out there and I want to know it intimately. And I want you to know it intimately. And, and it's an interesting thing. Am I alone in this feeling? Do you have the same feeling? Do you, do you perceive people, you know, and I'm not talking about, oh, well, they do the tarot, and I've discovered that the tarot wasn't true. I'm not talking about that. I'm like, I really don't even care what these people believe, but it's just this sense of materialism versus a spiritual world. It's a sense of just seeing the world for what it is versus seeing something more. I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe you have a thought. Maybe you'd like to sh continue this conversation with me. Please do down below in the comments. My email I also provide for those who want a private discussion. I will talk to you. If you write to me, I will respond. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram, though I don't really communicate so much. I just post stuff, I running stuff I do, like, look at And, um... You know, Facebook and all that. But anyways, feel free to comment. We'll continue with part three and the rest of this upon a shot in the next video. Thank you for watching. And Harry Krishna, Harry Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Harry, Harry, Harry Rama, Harry Rama, Rama Rama, Harry.